Hello, and welcome to Whole Cluster Conversation. I, right now, am in the middle of my plant sale week and really um, doing a lot of work helping people with plant selection and what they're putting out because it's planting time of year. So Haley and I have been doing a lot of conversations off the podcast about kind of what I've been up to with all of that. And she ended up having a couple of questions kind of under this umbrella topic of plant selection, um, specifically looking at the topic of cover crops and kind of why erosion and why we have cover crops. So uh, with that, we just thought we'd do a, a quick episode talking about cover crops and plant selection around that. I'm Haley. This is Ashley. We are Whole Cluster Conversation. For any of those of you that don't know, we had some construction at our site. And typically when that happens, there's a big disturbed area and then you have Mm -hmm. bare dirt and then you want to get things planted because if you don't, the stuff that you don't want moves in. (laughs) Yeah. The unwanted plant or what were we calling weeds? I forget from our weeds episode. Yeah. Yeah. That's, we definitely covered a little bit of this in the weeds episode. Um, I think you'll find that there's a lot of like circulation and coming at at similar topics from different angles. Uh, So yeah, I think we talked about that in the weed episode a little bit as well. So your giant pit, your dirt pit. Yeah, or yeah, hopefully it's not a pit. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I get confused because I have a giant pit next to me. (laughs) (laughs) When somebody waves their arms at a big blank area of dirt, especially after something Mm -hmm. like construction or maybe erosion happens, how do you, where do you even start when they say, what should I plant here? I talk to a lot of people with lots of different landscape, we'll say landscape land uses on their property. So I'll try to focus more on like kind of farmers and larger scale people. But in general, when there is bare ground, we need to cover it. And that just means, or the reason really is because you're going to start having those first invader plants and typically whatever region you're in, Weeds, undesirable plants are the ones that are coming in first. Cockleburrs. Uh, yeah, they're just <laughs> because that's kind of the their life trait of sorts is to be able to like establish in an area quick, quickly, and fast. Uh, disturbed At weird areas. times of the year <laughs> yeah. when nothing else is growing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's just a trait of like disturbed areas as well. Here on the west side of uh, Oregon, Washington, we get a lot of like I think about in our riparian stream areas when you have disturbance events that opens it up and sunny things that typically come in are like blackberries and reed canary grass are people are probably the two big ones that people are fighting. There's a lot of other species too, but that's kind of one of them is that weed pressure. And then the other big thing that I think about is if you have any slopage on your property at all, it can even be minor. Again, for you in a drier climate, it's still going to happen, but it's going to be more of a flashier flood system where over on the west side where we are, you know, have more rain, 
I'm really thinking about erosion. Okay. But you can also have wind erosion too over there. So, yeah. Well, I think since you just talked about erosion, can you describe, if someone doesn't know what that looks like, can you, first off, let's uh, do water erosion, like mm-hmm. runoff erosion. What If somebody's looking at a site and they're like, I don't know if we have a problem with erosion, what would that look like? Great question. I haven't really thought of how to verbalize what erosion looks like. So hopefully I don't stutter too much through this. But I would say I like, if you think of, let's go the Grand Canyon and you think how it, if you're in a plane flying over, I was recently doing this and you look down and you see kind of like flat and then there's just these divots down where all the, you know, rivers are Mm -hmm. and water are it's kind of like micro mini versions of that so you'll see these areas where it's just kind of dipping down and there's obviously trailing of water and that's trenches high yeah high level of erosion and again that can be even small like a couple inches you know that's all it is it's just tiny but if you're seeing that kind of stuff the other thing that you're gonna see is that is also with a wind erosion, which I think is what you're going to ask next about. Yes, and But both of it. these is that what's happening is it's the water is taking the top sediment. And that's really the issue is it's taking the top layer of your uh, dirt, soil. your soil off and like moving it down. And that's where in the bigger picture of things, if you are somewhere near a stream and you're having that and the constant erosion, I mean, we all in some ways are connected, you know, we're all part of a watershed. (laughs) Yeah, we all, you know, the water goes someplace and to some degree we are contributing to that. And so that sediment, you know, is getting taken off. And so that is typically going to be like, if you have bad erosion, it's taking off that protective layer of your soil and the stuff that sometimes has a lot of good nutrients in and it's, you know, going down. And it can like, depending on your soil and like how, you know, thick that top layer is, you can get down pretty fast to yeah. where it's just like not good soil that you're not having that good upper layer Growing on. material and stuff, yeah. Yeah. A quick and aside, so, there's they're mm-hmm. doing some really interesting stuff in this area, like the Boise Treasure mm-hmm. Valley area where they're trying to recover a lot of that topsoil that ends up in the in the canal system and in the like yeah. runoff from agriculture. So they like are they have this cool program where they're recovering some of that and then putting it back into production. Know, back into production. They're putting it back on fields. <laughs> so I have a guess of what they're doing, but do you know what they're actually like promoting in that program in terms of like actual practices of to implement? Well, right now what they're doing is they have a couple settling ponds so that okay. literally all of the runoff, not all the runoff, but a really nice portion of the runoff, they end up capturing in settling okay. ponds so that then they can put it back into fields. Okay, so are they doing anything on the fields to help with the yeah. erosion there? Yes, yeah. There's a there's other programs, and I think that program as well. Sorry, I don't know any of the names about them, but I listened yeah. in on how it was affecting the Boise River watershed. Mm-hmm. I think that things like drip irrigation instead mm-hmm. of row irrigation or flood yep. irrigation, and then using really high-tech farm implements to basically micro-plane the fields. So instead mm-hmm. of just having like, oh, it, 
we have a six foot difference in our fields. Actually, they're making it a smaller and smaller difference. So the runoff is less. Oh, so they're flattening the fields essentially? Well, <laughs> is that yeah. what you're saying? Or yeah. is it getting at disking and tilling? Both. I think that okay. they're promoting less disturbance of the soil in the crops that that's possible. So yeah. doing like certain rotations. I think that sugar, no, not sugar beets. What was it? Yeah. Mint. Mint was mm-hmm. one of them um, where okay. they, you can have mint for a couple of years in a field. So they're, instead of instead of replanting every year, you know, you can leave that so that that's less soil disturbance. Yeah. And then maybe sugar beets were one. I don't remember. Yeah, all of the sugar beets. I actually attended a soil conference and we talked a lot about sugar beets and yeah. methods that you could use around that. Um, yeah, super fascinating. All not vines, but I think it's all the same, same concepts. Mm-hmm. And so the other one that is probably going to be implemented that you didn't mention would be buffers and hedgerows because that can help with wind erosion because you can put hedgerows and especially like kind of if if you have a smaller ways to divide your crops then you can it'll kind of help with wind erosion as well as any like sediment or, or you know runoff from your area having that buffer is a great thing and then I think the next big topic we're going to talk about is cover crops as well. Yes, go for it. Not being a vineyard culturist and not having a you know vineyard of my own, but you know working with some people and and talking with people, I just I did do a little bit of research beforehand to just kind of know my general cover crops <laughs> that are very common in vineyards. One of the things that what I was pleasantly surprised to see as a great suggestion that is also something that's just in a lot of different crops is red clover. Mm-hmm. And I guess I should step back before I get into it too much, but you know, cover crops, the idea is that you are planting on that bare soil something that is, you know, gonna be there like some sort of plant that's going to just establish itself. But sometimes you can like switch cover crops. So sometimes people will do like annual cover crops and then still like do kind of a till into that it. Goals, those goals come into mind. Like, are you planting cover crops just for erosion control? Is it just to make things look pretty? Is it just for nitrogen fixing? So it's all in that goal it's selection. All, yeah, it's all of those different things. Yeah, that they can, that we're, I mean, more as... Cover crops have been studied for a long time, and there are people that know a lot more about cover crops than I do, but it's just generally getting at those ideas of helping build healthy soil. And is that by preventing erosion? Is that by building up and adding nitrogen to your soil? Is that by even like just leaving, you know, we've mentioned in the mud episode about like putting down hay and stuff like that, those residuals of when the cover crop like dies back and having that on the ground Mm -hmm. to just help with um, building the biology of your soil. Another benefit of some cover crops is stuff like, you know, beneficial insects and having, you know, if to help with like pollination and stuff. Right. So some people will <laughs> will use maybe like a, like clo- that's what I'm saying, like a clover mix is good or sometimes like 
I mean, it would need to be more of a permanent situation, but stuff like using uh, wild native plants or pollinator plants so that because they're trying to bring in pollinators closer to whatever their crop is. Yeah, that's something that is being studied. I know it's being studied a little more in viticulture circles Mm -hmm. instead of just having something there that keeps the weeds at bay, which is a big one for, for yeah. um, I think, orchards and vineyards because you do have so much Weed empty pressure. space between your crops mm-hmm. or crop plants that you want to keep the weeds at bay. So, But there's a lot more studying native flora, mm-hmm. especially for those beneficial insects, like you were saying. And yeah. because you know that they're going to establish well and not take as much water or other things before they, um, the, for the, from your crop plants, the vines, or if you're in an orchard, the trees. Yeah, and that definitely gets at one of the considerations you need when selecting a cover crop is thinking about the timing of that crop and or that plant and like, you know, when it flowers, when it's uptaking the most uh, water, that kind of stuff. So that you, and like kind of where you're planting it, like how close you're planting it to your other plants so that you're thinking about you know, if it is you're working with a perennial plant. But oftentimes mm-hmm. cover crops are, you know, with, I think the traditional or like the the model example that, or whatever you want to say, is we think about like in the Midwest with these large agricultural fields and they do something like corn. And right. then the next thing that they do, and it's this rotational of putting a cover <laughs> crop so that in between your crops that you're doing, there's no bare ground that you have right. something kind of in that rotation in the off season of the crop. So yeah. I was saying with something like vines that are growing there all the time, thinking about, you know, how close to the vine you're going to want to have that mm-hmm. plant. So yeah. And and the structure of the cover crop itself, like so that you're not having something high that's, you know, I don't know, growing up into your vine. And that right. Kind of stuff. That is something that sometimes you'll see these beautiful pictures, mustard, Seed is a a really common cover crop and especially areas where there's a little more moisture. Like I don't think they, people don't grow them where I am because it's so arid. So it takes a a lot of moisture (laughs) to Mm -hmm. grow mustard. So they're beautiful. And when people let them grow up and they like the plants flower and it's just so pretty and everything's very verdant, then you have to think about, okay, every other row at least needs to be mowed Mm -hmm. because... You need to be able to get in there and work. And so, yeah, there's there's definitely a balance. We're experimenting with a couple things, but haven't found anything that has displaced the, the undesirable plants <laughs> that we do have. So we're trying to yeah. figure out the prep portion. Yeah. Which... And I was going to say, when I was researching like what vineyards use as cover crops, it was saying that a lot of people are moving towards brassicas or stuff yeah. in the... Ma- the mustard family and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, that it is becoming more popular. The other one is legumes, like I mentioned, mm-hmm. clover, things in the pea family. And that's because they're nitrogen fixers. So if you think about building soil health, you know, you're working towards what is called having good biology. So again, just all your biological organisms, your fungi, your earthworms, all of that kind of stuff that's in your soil that's just going to help be like with decomposition and and creating good pore space for water to go down through and root space and like, you know, just 
that, the biology. And then the other big thing when I say like moving towards better soil health is having good soil aggregates. And basically a soil aggregate, we talked about this a little bit before, but is with the ability that the kind of the soil is binds together. You don't want your uh, soil to just be kind of like, Sand. I mean, yeah, <laughs> the sand is a type of soil, but if you think about it, <laughs> right. like you just pick it up, like if you go to the beach and it just kind of falls apart, um, you want to think about like you pick it up and it's like a clump. Yeah. Um, or when it's wet, it sticks together. Exactly. Exactly. Getting at the nitrogen fixing part, mm-hmm. I think that's that's one of those things that, again, clover is great. Anything in the legume family, it's going to be bringing that nitrogen in, adding that um, to your soil. And right. so that's, that's a good goal to have. Like, like when you're planning for cover crops, you know, probably actually the soil health is going to be one of your top. Yeah. It might, that might not be your goal, but actually planting the cover crops is that's going to be your biggest, uh, influence that you have by mm-hmm. planting a cover cover crop is the soil health that you actually are promoting. And then everything yeah. else kind of descends after that, whether it's erosion control or, Weed mm-hmm. prevention, undesirable plant de- prevention. I don't know oh, what else, but yeah. It's, Hopefully, you guys are seeing that it's all interconnected. Like yes. by doing one thing, it's helping another thing, and it's all looped together. Um, so um, I know that we've talked about prep before, and mm-hmm. how prep is actually the best factor for success in planting. Yeah. It's make or break. So, <laughs> I yeah. like to say <laughs> yes. When you have something like a disturbance, mm-hmm. like construction or maybe even erosion. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm thinking specifically um, water erosion, but maybe wind erosion too. Do you have tools that you use that are different in that prep situation of making sure you'll have plants that thrive once you plant them? Are you meaning like literal tools or like figurative? No, like like figurative. (laughs) Like, is there a different type of prep you would do in those situations? I think the first thing I was thinking about when you were mentioning that or asking the question was in some scenarios, it's this, this is an extreme, but this bank just gave way and now I have this giant erosion situation um, or some sort of just big catastrophe that happens all at once. And Mm -hmm. so that, you know, is different than something like what you had where you know, like, hey, I'm going to be building a house here or, oh, I'm going to be tilling this soil. Right. So let's focus on the erosion. Yeah. I'm going to focus on, no, I want to focus on the first one because that's what most people are dealing with. A random event is, yeah, you're going to want to go in and figure, do that. But my point is that most of the time, you know, when something's going to happen. And so you need to step back and say, this is going to happen. I'm going to have the bare ground. I'm going to be tilling. I'm going to be mowing. I'm going to be... Whatever it is. You know, building a house <laughs> I'm or a road <laughs> or whatever it is. Yeah. Then you know that that's going to happen. So you need to make sure that you're ready to put the plants in the ground when that, like, after that happens. You don't want to just be sitting on that for, like, two years and letting other things establish. So think about that in your process. And I think that's what a lot of, you know, those farmers, like the sugar beet farmers and stuff, they think about, like, okay, I'm going to be tilling, and then after I till, what's my next crop going to be? And you think about it, like, the whole... Yeah. Yeah. 
And like, what other do I need to spray? Do I need to, is this something that, hey, I'm going to be, maybe it's something that you are on a, most vineyards, I feel like, are on slopes. I was just going to so go you, there. I'm glad you yeah. did. <laughs> yeah, most vineyards are on slopes. So you're like, hey, I maybe you're starting it out for the first time and you're going to plant. So you're like, I need to start thinking about as soon as I till this up to start my planting of my vines that, hey, this is on a slope. Maybe I need to think about where I'm going to be planting my buffers around the area. Mm-hmm. Where is my, where's the wind, you know, coming from? I think about the gorge. If you ever drive down the Columbia River Gorge, you'll notice on the Washington side, there are more and more vineyards popping up. And it is really windy. It gets so windy there. And you'll notice that people plant trees and mm-hmm. and different like hedgerows because it helps break up that wind. And then they're also going to be thinking like, are I doing dry farming, irrigation, or maybe like, do I need irrigation occasionally? How am I going to do that? And especially right. with the slope, saying like, okay, I want to to invest in drip irrigation. And I want to think about the end of those lines, getting at like our muddy episode too, so that I'm not creating at the end a pooling event for mm-hmm. mud or erosion after that, that yeah. fact, you know. Are there certain... The um, whole picture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are there certain... I was thinking about what you said about the stream bank mm-hmm. and if you have something like that on your property or you have a... a fissure that's that's where water runoff actually happens mm-hmm. and it's unstable are there like nets or things that you use as a tool to keep that erosion from happening while you're planting so i'm not an engineer so i'm not i i have chosen to never like think about <laughs> the large structure engineering engineering oh gosh portions of that there yeah, is a level fair. that if you have like a cliff that you're trying to <laughs> hold back that you need to think about that but it barring that and what you can do one of the things that I've seen a lot more in your area is stuff like hay bales. So oh. you put up, you know, the hay bales. The other thing is like, you know, we'll put up like lines to kind of like catch sediment. You'll you'll see those on construction zones, right. you know, where they have the posts and then like the know, hay, like the and plasticky stuff. Too. Yeah, well, it's not plastic, but fabric. Burlap. But they, well, no, I'm thinking it's actually a wall that you can kind of oh, put up to. yes. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I don't know <laughs> yeah. what they're called, but yes, it's like a black fabric. Mm-hmm, yeah. And so that is something that like, you know, if you do know like, hey, I'm that's usually actually part of the permitting process that yeah. the builder, if you're doing something larger like that and moving a lot of dirt, that they have to do that um, if, if you're close to the stream. But other things that you can think about is creating planting buffers. So I work a lot with um, agricultural farmers. And so we talk a lot about that with like keeping your livestock out of the stream. But you can also think about it if, you know, you just for your erosion and stuff, because again, plants, you just, they're going to, they're going to hold back that soil. They're going to, it's not going to just move through it. It's going to slow it down. And that's one of the great 
things and benefits of the plants. So if you ahead of time are like, hey, thinking five, 10 years down the road of what you're doing with your property and you do have like a stream or you just have like kind of that goalie area that you're seeing that, hey, when there's large rain events, I am getting a lot of washout here. Start Mm. considering like planting in that area if it's, you know, and that could be trees and you can, you know, put your hedgerow or it could be smaller, just like, hey, I want to do, you know, a grass or clover mixture here, but starting to do that so that it, it's not just washing off because once it starts washing off, you'll just see it's like continually going. And and the hay bales are great too, because they kind of, again, act to just like and they're usually, you place them kind of at an angle so that like as the water hits it, it can kind of divert it um, oh, in a certain okay. way. Yeah. yeah. Do you uh, ever use the, for, I'm thinking about establishing plants specifically mm-hmm. um, in bare areas rather, I mean, erosion yeah. areas too, but the spray stuff. You know how about like you oh, can like yeah. pay some. Do, have you ever done that? I've never no? done that. No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe yeah. we can do an episode on that. I know that there's a guy, a guy. <laughs> I know a there's person. a company <laughs> yeah. locally in the Boise area where you can do different types of seed sprays, mm-hmm. and he and he they, she, whoever <laughs> the company does offer like a native spray, and you kind of can pick and choose the native plants. So. Uh huh. Oh, that was kind of cool. Maybe when we yeah. get to a point where we have enough area prepped, we'll we'll consider doing that. Yeah. And I'll let you and know how it goes. <laughs> there's also, a, I just thought of one other thing that's like not the hay bales, but I see that a lot around like road construction projects. You know, if you see like where they spray it and then there's these burlap bag things. The they're tubes. Called, I think they're called, I want to say they're bio bags, but now I'm like thinking of dog poop bags. And, and throw like, up bags. <laughs> no, but there's something like that. And it's, uh, but it's cool because they're actually like full of like soil and stuff. And sometimes those bags and you can plant like shrubs and trees, but they can put it, they, people put it, um, engineers especially along stream banks um, instead of something like riprap that's just like a bunch of rocks and stuff. They yeah. put these things and it almost looks like a little step terrace down and then you're able, it it captures sediment and kind of helps build it up behind it. But at the same time, you plant behind them. Oh, so then, very um, neat. So then they kind of create these step terraces. And then as the plants grow, obviously they're holding it back and their roots are going in. That's the other thing to consider is certain plants are really great with their roots going in and really helping hold back and stabilizing um, a bank if you have a bank that's like steeper. Yeah, cool. Well, I feel like... We talked about way more than just plant selection. <laughs> um, but is there anything else you feel like I didn't ask or that you want to say about plant selection, especially for erosion or that type of cover crop? I would say think about, you know, your water management, your like angles and banks for, again, plant selection. We we really, I feel like we didn't even go into plant selection too much, but I'm thinking... Uh, especially the last comment, I just like think about like if you have an area that's really steep that's like coming off it, hey, what types of plants in my area are really good to like hold roots back and think about your like long-term goals in planning so that, you know, you can just think overall like 
this is where I'm going, and these are the potential issues. And there's a lot of awesome organizations out there that will help. There's, you know, I've mentioned it so many times, like NRCS, well, they do a lot of stuff with with helping, especially around stream banks, plant selection, your local conservation district or your soil and water conservation district. Um, and then there's a couple other, like I know you guys have a really cool like river trust group that helps and does a lot of cool work in yeah. your region. Um, so, and your native plant societies are another great one if you're trying to go towards uh, plants. I just recently learned somebody told me that I think it's the Washington Native Plant Society, and I'm sure like a lot of them, but it, they had like a cool scholarship available. It wasn't like a ton of money, but a little bit of money to help with planting native plants places. Cool. So oh, that's really neat. Yeah, I just learned that like last week. And so I was like, oh, haven't had a chance to look into it, but um, they're a good resource and um, yeah. yeah, and then definitely. again, I think, you know, one of the, there's uh, some great books out there, like I found uh, one that we'll put in the show notes. And I mean, I haven't read it. I just did a quick Google search and found that there's this grape growers handbook uh, that oh, yeah. had a lot of really good info about cover cropping, vineyards, um, and that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, if you have specific questions on species we can you know definitely <laughs> I would say reach out to your local organization because yeah. that's gonna be some of those general ones are you know your clover club your sorry your clover and brassicas and then the other one I didn't mention really fast was um this really popular is like grass species and like barley oh gosh now I'm oh, forgetting yeah. it I think you're, I think you're right. There's there's a type of barley that's common, and like winter wheat, I think is a yes, really common. Yeah. yeah, yeah, those are really. I just had that like brain fart moment. <laughs> and yeah. I believe winter wheat is more common in the more arid areas because mm-hmm. it doesn't need as much water, and typically yeah. it's mowed. Yeah, yeah. So, but it gets at that same stuff of just holding, holding mm-hmm. it back, putting roots yeah. in the ground. So, yeah. definitely. Well, thank you to everybody for listening about plant selection and erosion, cover crops, things like that. Remember to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and write in any questions to wholeclusterconversation at gmail.com. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Whole Cluster Conversation. Music provided by Michael Johnson of Grand Falconer. Audio production provided by our friend Ukiah Bogle. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you like to listen. Ciao.